Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together, we are your hosts on the Edge Podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing, and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology. Of what we see, create, and recommend. Whenever I learn, I want to know how to before learning the what. I like to get my hands into actually doing or using a new tool or technology rather than sitting through a class or learning something online where someone first teaches me the concepts and then gets to the actual product and shows me what it can do and how it can make my life easier. That's just my way of learning. In this conversation with Joseph Chinaya, Director for Learning Tools and Technology at NetApp. He sure empathizes with this style. He talks about his journey to becoming a learning professional, what that means, how he became acquainted with learning design, and how he learned very early on in life that empathy is key to pretty much anything you're trying to do for someone else, more so in the space of learning. This conversation around learning, especially for working professionals, covers various principles, challenges, and what it takes to be a learning professional. Joseph walks us through his role and responsibilities as someone responsible for learning infrastructure in his current job and leaves listeners with his advice for those considering a career in learning or aspiring to be part of this world. Listen on to this episode of the Edge Podcast. Joseph, a very warm welcome to you to the Edge Podcast. I want to say a big thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Chitra. Pleasure to be here. So, Joseph, how did you come into the world of learning and especially adult education? What is your origin story? Quite interesting, actually. I When I was in college, I think I started uh, teaching my cousins and I would host these uh, informal tuition classes. <laughs> They were all happy to come over to my place and I, I love teaching them. I think that's how I figured out that uh, I really love teaching people. I like studying anyway. I, I used to love learning new things. It was really about the love for teaching people that sort of got kindled somewhere there. And as I was uh, stepping into more of a work situation, I think the first thing I started doing was teaching uh, paid tuition classes. So that was really, again, like a stepping stone into uh, more of a professional or a paid sort of assignment where I started giving out tuitions and was teaching maths and science and all these things. And also music, actually, I was teaching music at, at some stage. So I, I just felt like I, I really loved teaching. But the very first job I got in the corporate world wasn't necessarily fully about learning or teaching. It was more about technical support for a particular product. But the interesting thing happened that I was also made responsible for training customers on that product. Even though I didn't really join as a training professional, I got to do that. And what I realized over the three or four years that I did that job was that the part that really excited me the most was when I was training customers. I sort of really learned a lot about myself and I realized that that was a passion that I should continue. And from then on, all the work assignments that I took on, all the projects that I took on were really 
about learning and training and either to do with designing and, and creating training programs or to actually deliver them without really realizing, like, for example, I got into instructional design. I didn't know the term. I heard about it much later while I was already doing it for a, for a fair bit. Kind of follow your passion and you get, I suppose you get lucky sometimes, but then also you get, you draw that energy. And I think you talk to people and I, I definitely spoke to people about what I would love to do. And I got those kind of opportunities. So that's how it, it, it sort of started. It's a very, very interesting set of experiences you've had, Joseph. I can feel a whole lot of questions popping into my mind. You started by giving informal tuitions and then it somewhat became formalized when you started taking classes. Am I right in assuming that your audience was perhaps uh, school-going students or college-going students? Yeah, yeah. That's how it started. I started with the school kids. I think they were in 7th, 8th, ninth grade. A couple of them were preparing for their 10th boards. So yeah, it was pretty much that. Uh, the music students were slightly more varied. They were school kids. They were uh, grown-ups as well. So, uh, but for the majority, I think it was uh, definitely school kids. In your first job, when you said you were training customers, adults, yeah. what are some of the significant differences that you found in styles, design, or just overall in the manner of teaching between teaching students and teaching working professionals? Well, that was a huge difference. I think with the with school students or you know people who came specifically for certain subjects, they had a certain almost like a mental mandate. They had to do that. They wanted to learn something. It was also very focused with respect to their textbooks and things like that. Depends. Like I mean, there some of them were very motivated. Some of them had to work with them a little bit. But in all, um, they had that energy, and they were all because they were learning mostly full time. They had that tuning that was geared towards learning things. But with these um, adults that I started teaching in my customer domain, it was very different because some of them were either early in their career, so they may be mid twenties, late twenties. But then some of them were seasoned professionals. They had been working in that domain for 20, 25 years. So they were basically crossing over from traditional video editing systems and audio editing systems to new age computer-based systems. So they had a lot of resistance actually to change and <laughs> had to really work with them uh, to make them comfortable and to make them realize that this is not very difficult. And I had to literally get them at ease with the concept or the subject itself. And the fact that um, they had to learn a new language in terms of digital technology, but then also they had to learn a new set of applications. They had to learn new workflows. So it was much tougher, actually, to teach these customers. But eventually, you know, it was also about striking a rapport with them, making them comfortable and helping them transition by connecting their own concepts of what they were doing in their current systems to what they're doing in the digital systems. I think for the most part, I helped them transition. Not everybody went through the same journey. Some were tougher. You know, some people adopted much quickly. But yeah, there was a huge difference between these two audiences. So I learned a lot in you know moving through those phases. I had to adopt my teaching or training style. I had to be much more uh, conscious of the fact that there was much more resistance and change now with these customer audiences. Wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Could you share some stories from those days about overcoming that resistance or helping learners, adult learners, overcome that resistance. Any others that you feel stand out to you 
learning moments where you took away perhaps learning about yourself and something that helped you apply later on in your career i would say there were a couple of examples this was probably 20 years ago but i still remember them very clearly because there was an instance where i went to this government institute there was a research agency produced a lot of media uh, you know a lot of documentaries on what they were working on what their scientists were doing so they were using traditional equipment and then they had to move on to these digital systems you know me and one of my colleagues we went there we set up the entire system they literally thought of us as like these people have come here to change our job why are they here almost that kind of thing right you know we had to first of all strike a rapport with them yet i remember taking them out for tea just trying to understand what they're going through what are some of their questions about just this transition not just about learning a new system but about their job and how's that changing i would say that i i grew up with a sense of empathy firmly uh, entrenched in me i mean the family environment and and the way i grew up and the way my parents were i think kind of learned this pretty early in life that you had to really understand the other person's perspective before you try and establish something in their mind about what you are there to do or what you want and to understand but in that situation it was almost like we had to create that level playing field we had to help them understand the context and then almost teach them in a formal classroom environment so i remember setting up a three day training session where there were eight ten of them they were literally sitting like a classroom sit, set up and we were demoing each and everything to them and we were asking questions and you know helping clarify their doubts and then getting them to practice a little bit but it was almost like teaching a pretty much a college class and part of the reason was that they expressed that they were going to be much better off getting formal instructions getting all the examples from us learning by watching us do things and then eventually doing it themselves by using the user manuals and tutorials and things like that so it was a very different setup where we had to literally do like a formal class now contrast that with a different situation where i was teaching very experienced studio editor in delhi he obviously had a very different perspective he wanted to learn this new system he had worked on something similar in the past but he wasn't really aware of this particular uh, system that we were installing so what he told us and he and couple of his team members what they told us is that they would actually edit something without actually having been taught how to do it but they would take the user manual they'll edit it themselves they wanted me to sit with them and just observe them and nudge them and coach them as they were doing so that was like a very different approach where this person aggressively took the learning task in their own hand and he wanted to learn by doing and he said you know it doesn't matter if i make a mistake but you are there to help me correct me and push me to use the right technique or whatever it is but i'm going to do this i'm not going to be a passive learner so i wouldn't have designed it that way their learning experience but kind of surprised me a little bit also but in a positive way i was like okay this is great let's see how that goes we had sufficient time you know if things didn't work out we could always go back to plan a but it really worked well and at the end of it they created the small program i was pleasantly surprised how well they learned even though we had to coach them a little bit as they went along and point them to specific things but they learned so well that by the end of it they had created something that was even usable like you know they could have literally used that short edit of a of a program for actually broadcasting it it was a very different experience and obviously that audience group of three people learned in an absolutely accelerated way as compared to the other folks who we had to go back and train them again first audience that i talked about so very different 
expectations, very different audiences. And so one thing that I learned through those kind of experiences was how you have to be as a trainer or as a content or a, a class designer or an instructional designer, you have to be so aware of what's needed in which situation. How do you adopt to that? How do you create a different role for yourself and still make the audience successful? Wow, those stories are very interesting and takes me back to some adult learning principles where, especially in the learn by doing, right? I'm sure those people really felt that unless they did it that way, they probably didn't see themselves sitting in a classroom and learning. They just wanted to get the job done at the same time learn Somewhere instinctively in their minds, they must have felt that this is a better way. Maybe in the government institute, they just wanted it to be a classroom style. I mean, either ways, uh, I see it as, you know, empowering the learner to choose their mode of learning and uh, the facilitator there to, to make that happen. Absolutely. It's about their choice. And also it's about what they're probably used to. Like this institute, the first audience I talked about, they were, I think, a little more used to somebody sitting them down and training them on a system. And that's how they're used to transitioning versus this other audience were like, okay, you know, we're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to try this new system, learn by doing and by making mistakes. So very different approaches, you know, both of them write in their own own perspective. You know, there's multiple ways of doing the same thing. But again, it's about recognizing the choice and instructing accordingly. That's a great way of summarizing. This segues nicely into the next question I have around instructional design. What have been some of your guiding principles when trying to construct or design courses for different kinds of audiences? I'm sure there must be some common fundamental principles, perhaps that have come from your own experience or, you know, others that would be helpful to people who want to even consider a career in instructional design? What would some of those be? Personally, it's been an interesting blend of learning by doing and and discovering how these things work. And then later on, I, I also was fortunate to get some proper instruction. When I was working at G Capital International Services, we had a great leadership team that wanted to instill a sense of consistency how, in how we did instructional design. So they exposed us to certain instructional design programs where we learned some of the principles of, and how you can not just by instinct or by your own creativity, but scientifically design learning programs that can be successful, have a better chance of being received in, in the right way. So whether it's um, to do with Bloom's taxonomy, where you understand the level of instruction, the level of need, and certain parameters like that. And then how do you design a level of interest in the program to get attention and then tune the learner more in terms of how they might be receiving learning and then help them reinforce it and, and remember it for a longer period. So all those things, I think by teaching, because I was also involved in teaching new instructional designers how to do effective training development design. I think I learned by teaching others more than anything. As much as I learned by my with my own projects and some of the assignments I got, because when you have to teach somebody, you have to be absolutely clear about things. It actually made me much better instructional design. So I would credit my uh, mentors and leaders who gave me those kind of opportunities because they kind of helped me learn even better. So I think that that helps. 
think there are some very good books available. There are so many forums like in our time, it was ASTD. Now it's, of course, ATD, the American Institute of uh, Technology and Training and Development. So all those kind of forums are great for online study. If you want to learn from the community of instructional designers and trainers, how best to design these programs, how well you can deliver them. There's always you know something you can learn. I've always felt like I can always learn more. So even though it's been 20, 25 years in the domain, I continue to study, look at the latest texts, look at people who've done some recent projects, who've got some new techniques of how to use modern infrastructure and modern techniques to deliver better learning. You can always do that. Like recently, I, I think last year, I came across a book by Donald Flock. It's fantastic how it talks about using AI for learning. And I think there's some really good use cases. Uh, now that I'm managing learning infrastructure at NetApp, it's definitely helped me think about new ways of uh, using technology and use cases to help push learning. So it's like how you start off, you could be starting off in very many different ways. You could be an accidental instructional designer or somebody who just gets pushed into a project. But it's about really clarifying that mission and the passion to say, okay, if I want to create better programs, if I want to deliver better trainings, what do I really need to learn? And then you follow that path and with the some help from your community, your friends, your peers, and some formal text that's available online, you can really have a pretty good career. Nicely said, Joseph. You've mentioned this several times already, saying that you have learned so much by being a teacher. The thought that actually came to my mind was you were actually learning by doing. Yes. I think uh, that's kind of a common uh, <laughs> common thread <laughs> that goes along most things. You've had an extensive career in learning. What have you seen as some of the major shifts in learning? So we'll start with first attention spans. You know, you mentioned retention and recall. These are two major cognitive measurements which actually determine the effectiveness of learning in a large number of uh, ways in which learners are assessed and continue to do so even today. But Attention spans have greatly diminished. I know that very often we are creating learning material. We ensure that the viewer is not engaged for more than, let's say, eight or nine minutes. Or there is a particular amount of time that somebody will spend on a visual and a certain matter on the screen. And that time span just seems to be diminishing. And today, there is so much information that's consumed in so many different formats that there's actually a lot of fatigue on the learner. What have you seen as significant shifts? And what do you think people, especially learning designers, should watch out for or try to adapt or do differently to cater to these changing paradigms? Yeah, I think that's a a great question. And honestly, it's even difficult to address in a short time span because this is so much that's happened in the last 15, 20 years, more so in the last, I think, five years, if you see. One of the things that I've seen shift dramatically is just the scope of what people do. It. And I'm talking about workplace learning at this point in time, but how things have changed, the expectations from the modern worker in terms of what they're expected to do on a day-to-day basis, how they rapidly change their role, they change their jobs, even within a certain job, the span of things that they're expected to do, those things have fundamentally changed. And the use of 
technology in pretty much every step of one's day-to-day work has added an element of complexity, maybe simplification in some sense, and maybe a way of doing things uh, easily, but it does add to that cognitive load. For example, if you could design a user manual or, or some sort of a job manual for somebody 15, 20 years ago, it's very hard to do that today. I mean, companies are struggling to put proper definitions for roles because they shift so often. And how do you create that consistency for people to perform one thing perfectly every day? It's, it's not happening anymore. And, and that's partly also because we're so adaptable as human beings, as, as people who are now starting to work or they've been working, let's say, in the last five or seven years, their ability to assimilate and perform some of these new jobs and roles is, is very different from what it was 15, 20 years ago. What has happened is, is that it's become more complex to design trainings in context of one's job, quote-unquote, in a, in a longer sense. But we have to think about what they're doing. We have to think about their needs in specific moments of their work. So a lot of people today are talking about learning in the flow of work. It's not just a buzzword, but I truly feel that that's a very relevant direction for learning because with so much material, so much content, so much training options and everything and coaches and mentors and everybody available, it can become overbearing for people to decide when to learn what and how much is really going to be useful for them. So having learning both in terms of content or expertise or mentors or coaches available in the moment of need is becoming far more critical now. And that also helps people kind of maximize what they're learning. We are in a a hyper-efficient sort of world where nobody wants to waste time, nobody wants to do something that's not going to be useful. So I think we have to be very mindful about that. And then we have to differentiate skills that are more motor skills, things that actually require practice from things that you can learn in a small moment and, and immediately apply. I think oftentimes practitioners in the learning field, they could make a mistake of putting the wrong methodology on the wrong type of skill. So whether it's a, a long-term skill development versus an immediate skill or piece of knowledge that you can utilize, you need to put the right strategies and the right tools to really teach those. And that's that's a challenge. Just the sheer variety of teaching techniques, tools, and methodologies are are so expansive today. So as a learning professional, I feel the job is more complex today. It is something where you have to make a lot of choices as a learning professional in terms of what you're going to use to design, what kind of program, when do you interject, when do you actually deliver that, how effectively can you transmit that for the user. So that's why things like micro-learning are so in vogue because that sort of suggests a phenomena where you can do something very quickly. It's a short bite and you can use it immediately, those kind of things. But not everything can be micro-learning. That's important also to understand, which I think is is not that easy for people to understand because there are some things that will take time. That's where I feel the complexity is. And I think the good news is for the learning industry that there are good solutions, there are good reference guidance available on when to apply what kind of methodology and tool to deliver the right kind of learning. It's a matter of really making sure that you're conscious of that, you're learning consistently as a learning professional and helping your audiences be absolutely productive and at the same time have the right learning available to them at the right time. Yeah, I think complexity defines it. Even for learning professionals, you constantly have to evolve and adapt and much, much more today than ever before. 
just the rate of change is that much more. Yeah. You mentioned that you were responsible for learning infrastructure. What does that job look like? What are some of your responsibilities? What is it that you are always looking out for in terms of being able to do your job well? That's a very interesting role in any medium to large company. You'd have a learning organization that may have a, a few people dedicated to the technology side of learning. In NetApp Learning Services, we have a team that's dedicated to our learning infrastructure, tools and technology and innovation. And really fortunate to be leading that team. As part of that, the charter is really to provide best-in-class learning tools and technologies. Our team, which is designing the training, developing the training, delivering the training. But then also from a user point of view, uh, to have the right learning management system, have associated technology platforms available so that we can deliver them various learning modalities uh, as effectively as we can. So just to give you an example, my team manages an entire technology stack. Just think of it as a company having an IT team, right? It's very similar to that, just a microcosm of that within a learning organization, an IT team. Making sure that users can log in into the systems correctly. They don't have any issues. They have the right experience. When they look for something, they can find it. And when they consume it, they get credit for that and they get acknowledgement. If they like it, they can share it. So allowing all those functionalities through a system and making sure that we can really distinguish between customer audiences, partner audiences, employee audiences, so that each one gets their own sort of landing space and contextual learning. So that's what my team does. We are always looking outside in the industry to see what new tools and technologies are coming through. I'm a big fan of uh, industry communities where we can learn about new tools and technologies, a lot of conferences that we virtually participate. I follow the Josh Burson webcasts and all the, all the write-ups quite closely just to make sure that you know we're getting a good hang of what's happening in the industry. So yeah, this role is essentially keeping the innovation lights on and making sure that no user is having any issues. So it's a very interesting and different kind of role, which is sometimes can be thought of as a back office role, but in reality, it's touching every element of the learning business. So enabling the, the learning team itself, the consumers, and all the stakeholders. I mean, that certainly came to my mind. It sounded like it was a very end-to-end role. And it's it's an interesting one, especially for me, because I've I've been an instruction designer. I've been a regional training manager. I've been a content development manager. I've done field enablement. So having done a lot of those roles, you know, I always had this passion for finding new technologies for for learning and how to effectively produce content or deliver content. So when I got a chance to play this role more formally, I was great opportunity to try this out and see how I can add value to the business. It's a very different thing when it comes to full-time managing that kind of portfolio. It gives you a lot of context and helps you learn the the learning business, the learning and training business from a completely different point of view. And I would highly recommend it for anybody who's had a few years in the learning uh, industry and they have a chance to play a role like this. It just uh, exposes you to so much on the learning technology side that you learn so much about uh, how you can deliver better programs. It certainly sounds like a very, very interesting, very, very fully involved role, Joseph. You said there are so many modes of delivering learning. And I was just thinking... Today, everybody is, especially digital natives, want to be able to access learning from anywhere and from any device. 
And then I was going back to what you said previously in terms of complexity to design and train and create content and deliver learning programs that will actually serve the needs of the user. How has that been in your experience? What has worked and perhaps what hasn't worked? You have to really move with with your target audience. And um, like you said, you know, with, with the newer generation of folks in the workplace, uh, we have a lot of people who come straight out of colleges. So obviously their learning preferences could be very different from, say, somebody who's been in the company for 20 years, right? And as a learning organization, you have to serve all of them in respect to their preferences, but also making sure that they're effective and they can really achieve their goals from learning. Uh, we have implemented uh, certain methodologies. Like, for example, we have a learning experience platform within our LMS that actually gives users a very Netflix kind of experience. So you can pick your interests. Like, for example, I like, I want to learn about change management, or I want to learn about Kubernetes, or I want to learn about, say, leadership, or I want to learn about time management. I pick those interests. And within a certain module of the learning management system, I get feeds on these topics, just like Netflix, just like you watch a certain type of movie or you say that this is what I'm interested in and you get feed for those kind of programs. So it's a very contemporary, very intuitive way of driving learning consumption. And we've seen uptick from certain kind of audiences who like that kind of interface. And then we have the standard vanilla catalog-based learning discovery module as well. Like, they just want like a simple interface. I just want to put my training topic and I want to see uh, certain options and then I pick which one I want to do. So we give them various methods in which they can discover training. In fact, we're just experimenting and piloting a project just now where we are bringing that level of discoverability for training right within Microsoft Teams because in the organization, we're using Microsoft Teams as a standard communication tool and it's becoming a standard tool for day-to-day -day usage. If you can search for training right within Teams, you don't even have to go into another interface. So that's resonating with some of our audiences. And, and so that's what we are, we are trying to do is see what's available, how can we experiment with these new methods and uh, provide our audiences with a way of capturing learning in the way they want. Uh, similarly, for example, mobile learning is so pervasive now. It really wants to be able to take training when they have a little moment on their mobile. So for our sales uh, audiences, we use something called MindTickle. So that helps them get a lot of their sales content on their mobile. So when they're on the move, waiting at the airport, they can quickly watch some modules there and take some quizzes and recommend certain modules. So all these various methodologies and tools are helping us with uh, different kind of customer use, use cases. I remember exploring Mindtickle as well. And yes, it seems like a fantastic solution for somebody on the go, probably who just needs a ready reckoner at uh, yeah. any point in time and anywhere they are. Based on what you said, how does artificial intelligence play a role in adapting learning and learning methodologies for delivering better learning experiences? It's interesting that AI is both coming built into certain tools out of the box. So for example, the learning experience platform, like I talked about, it basically has algorithms for just like Netflix, it has algorithms to study consumption patterns, to provide learning modules that are tailored to a specific user's interest or their consumption pattern. Those are great things because we don't really have to sit and do any tooling for that. We can let the system uh, learn from the user consumption it's a self-driven exercise that helps improve the systems and um, provides more contextual, more personalized learning. 
there are areas where you can run specific projects which could be custom kind of projects for ai and we haven't really delved into that i mean at least not in our organization uh, i have some ideas of discuss with my team but there are people who are doing some phenomenal work in this area there's this example that and i'm going to borrow this from donald uh, from his book uh, that i was recently reading on ai for learning where they basically found a way of generating an assessment from a piece of content automatically through ai they really uh, found that people are learning through wikipedia a lot and it would be fun to have a way of basically designing questions and creating an inquiry based learning model out of wikipedia so people can actually look at certain questions answer them or that leads them to certain content and they were able to design this entire you know ai driven module that creates assessments of questions out of a piece of content so now it's productized and you can literally drop a document like a user manual or some sort of a document into that tool and it will give you a very well instructionally sound assessment out of it imagine having to do that work as an instructional design team it would take you a few days or a, a few weeks to actually do something like that so that's a fantastic use of technology to create a deliverable that typically take you much longer and then you can put your team to work to use that in a context where it is really useful for the audience to kind of do more things out of it so i think the use of ai in certain areas especially with learning experience management i think i'm really excited about that and it's giving us some really good results already it sounds like a completely fascinating tool some time back a colleague of mine was exploring uh, h5p and that itself became so easy to integrate with uh, things like wordpress that when you were writing blogs you could actually make them a little more interesting and exciting by inserting questions in line within the blog itself but this is really really fascinating and i'm sure it'll invoke a lot of creativity and innovation even amidst learning designers you can probably build off of something like this and create very different kind of assessments in fact i'm thinking one of the things that especially comes as a request very often when we're asked to design learning for working professionals is how can we provoke critical thinking one is of course learning the concept where you have uh, answers that are more in black and white whereas critical thinking are more in line with situations that working professionals have to deal with every day you have a set of choices how do you weigh which is the best one to go forward with how do you associate or assess risk with something how do you invite critique and comment on uh, a certain problem that you're working on and so on something like this has immense possibilities exactly and this these are just like a couple of examples but there's just so much happening any contemporary modern tool on the learning side if you pick up there's already a lot of ingestion of ai into it and all of it is really got a single single uh, mission which is to really make the life of the learner easy give them the most relevant content help them be more productive and knowledgeable it's really great the way things are moving in that direction during the two years of the pandemic that accelerated learning in many different directions more so towards online and digital learning but what we were also noticing and this was there even before the pandemic was that when the rates of completion 
of uh, self-paced learning programs, especially the ones offered by MOOCs, have been yeah. really, really abysmally low. There are a lot of people who are trying different things, like a combination of micro-learning and intervention-based learning, or small, bite-sized, self-paced learning modules coupled with something else. What has been your experience post-pandemic? Where do you see things headed for learning to become more effective, especially for working professionals? The completion rates have always been a challenge, especially for voluntary, self-driven kind of programs. It sort of depends. If you look at MOOCs, I've been a heavy user of Coursera, for example, or edX, LinkedIn Learning. And, and I feel sometimes I may not have completed some courses because I was looking for something specific. And when I completed certain modules, I actually got that. And if I really like a course, I would anyway complete it, maybe start to finish. So it's like sometimes how we read books. Maybe some people read a book from start to finish. Some people read a few chapters and they get out of it what they want. And they might just use it as a ready reckoner for some later time. So I think we we do have a challenge. And like we already discussed this shortage of time. People want to be more productive. They want to get what they want. And it is definitely inquiry-based. So if I'm looking for something very pointed, I might go for that. That's been a challenge. On the corporate side, when we have compliance trainings, obviously we have completion rates are absolutely high. There are some programs where we've noticed because of the way they're designed, because of the way they engage learners, we do have high rate of completion for those. But for the most part, I would say that's where chunking and breaking training materials into more relevant pieces is going to be the future. It's very difficult for people to consume voluminous, large courses. And a lot of MOOCs do have that challenge. They're designed for that four-week, six-week consumption time frame. Sometimes people lose interest during that time frame. For corporate learning, a lot of times, if they're not very relevant, if the modules don't give them exactly the looking for, we will see low rate of consumption. But when you look at smaller segments, micro-modules, when you look at small chunks of content, you can see that people will typically do those 10-minute sessions. They're more likely to complete those smaller segments. And then you can help them connect the dots. So if you give them more of that same type, there's more likelihood of them completing those segments. I think it's definitely that's where the microlearning strategy is strong. And it is definitely going to be relevant as we go along. The way some of the macro dynamics are changing for the corporate world, where the roles are changing, you're seeing post-pandemic, different kind of business challenges have cropped up. Collaboration has been a challenge, getting people on the same page hiring new talent uh, because of a lot of churn in the industry. I think all those things are leading to need for specific learning or an up-levelment of competencies. So I think that's definitely going to require more training. But again, as we go along, I think the important thing is to design them with the level of efficiency and ease in mind, not really force learning into certain broad structures. Nicely said, Joseph. Thank you. I didn't realize how soon this much time had passed. But before we draw this conversation to a close, and I do hope we have many more, because I do have a lot more questions to run through by you. What is advice that you would like to share with people aspiring to be part of the learning design community or becoming learning designers? It's hard for me to generalize, but I would say I think the passion for teaching is definitely a common one I've seen most between me and my friends who are in this domain. 
I think we all love to teach. We all love standing in front of an audience, whether it's virtual or real class, to teach something, to convey something, to help somebody understand and perform better. That's such a pivotal piece of passion that I would say, you know, that's helped many people. The other thing is just simply helping other people grow. If you like to help other people, if you feel like you, you get a great sense of satisfaction when you're able to guide somebody in the right direction, those are all intrinsic factors that really help build a, a long career in learning. I know people who get into maybe this profession, just like any other profession, and then they feel that it's not really for them. So it's also maybe one thing to check is if you're new into this area, if you're still finding your feet, you know, look around and there's, there's so much that's happening even within the training and development industry. There are so many career options. There are so many roles that are there. There's a role on the technology side. There's a role on the delivery, training delivery side. There's content development. There's editorial. There's people who are doing fantastic graphics and animation for learning. So there's just so many different roles within the learning industry that play a pivotal part in building great learning content and delivering that content. Again, from a career standpoint, there are just many, many opportunities. My advice would be to stay open and try different things. In my almost 25 years of experience, one of the things that I'm really thankful about is that I've always, I've always liked to step out of my whatever role that I've started doing really well and try something different. And I've had supportive leaders and managers around me who let me do that at the cost of <laughs> failure, but uh, it's all been good. I think we can work things out together. The thing is to really try different things. So I've been a trainer, I've been training manager, I've technology sort of role in the learning domain. I've done field enablement, done sales enablement, I've done coaching. And all these things add up and they give you a very different experience and you feel very rich in terms of the kind of experience and the kind of relationships you build. So to me, that's kind of the North Star. If you like to Try different things if you'd like to help people and grow people and give them something to really do their job better. I think this is a fantastic domain to be. Thank you, Joseph. That was beautifully put. I think definitely listeners who may haven't even considered career options in a field like this would want to explore it. Thank you very much. It's been fantastic talking to you. It's been such a pleasure having this conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Always good to share in this kind of forum and, and again thanks to you Chita. please subscribe to the edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel we are on google itunes spotify stitcher and more if you like this episode please share it with your friends if you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.